verse 1, Matthew 5, 1. We're starting a new series today called Redefined. It's a, a study of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus gives this famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through uh, chapter 7. It's actually the first of, of five sermons in Matthew's gospel, uh, five discourses. And this is the first one, by far the longest one and the most remembered one. And so we're starting there uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 1. It's at the start of Jesus' ministry. Uh, so just for a little bit of context, if you remember Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Uh, John the Baptist baptizes him, and then he is immediately driven out into the wilderness where he is tempted by the evil one. And then he, he comes back after his baptism and after his temptation, and he starts his ministry uh, of, of two things. Um, Jesus' ministry can be summed up as a, as a ministry of teaching, um, and one of works, or you know, great works that he did. That's what it says in chapter 4, verse 23. He went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So this is what Jesus did, and that kind of sets up the rest of Matthew to show us all of these healings and all of this teaching. And so we, we go to his teaching first in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most popular uh, passages of Scripture a lot of ink has been spilled over this passage. A lot of people talk about it, have a lot of favorite verses. Um, however, it is one of the most misunderstood passages in Scripture as well, as we will see over the next few weeks. Well, let's read it first. We're going to read the section on the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of chapter 5. Verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. <coughs> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Went to a, a movie this week uh, for the first time in ages. Uh, saw Rogue One. It was pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, the previews before were hilarious. Like, everything has got a sequel coming out now, and that's it's pretty much par for the course now. But uh, I saw the next iteration of Pirates of the Caribbean is, is coming out. Uh, further evidence that... Uh, Disney is going to milk that franchise for every penny that it's worth, which is increasing, increasingly not a lot, um, honestly. But uh, the first two movies, or the first couple of movies, were, were really funny. And if you remember, um, <coughs> one of the funniest parts <coughs> was uh, the, these jokes that they did around the Pirate's Code. Do you remember the Pirate's Code? Uh, the pirate's code is what pirates live by, right? It's, it's the way that they're supposed to act as pirates. There are rules. Um, there's rules for, for parlay, you know, when you need to treat with your enemy. There's rules for, 
um, you know, negotiation of hostages. There's rules for dividing treasure and how you relate to your captain. This is the pirate's code. It's how you act as a pirate, except by the huge irony, right? Pirates, by definition, are lawbreakers, okay? Not very good at keeping code, um, and so by their very nature, and so that's where the, the funny parts come in is because they say, okay, well, sometimes they're asserting the pirate's code, and sometimes they say, well, it's more like guidelines, right? Um, the code isn't really law, it's more like guidelines. And oftentimes we kind of have the same confusion as we come to Scripture, these parts of Scripture where Jesus speaks and gives us, um, you know, his, the, the way of the kingdom, right? The codes of the kingdom basically is the Sermon on the Mount. It's how we live as Christians, um, the, the laws of the Old Testament, and we come to it and we say, are these rules? Um, are, are they code or are they more like guidelines? Um, and we have this tension that goes through us, and we, we know that it can't be fully one or fully the other. And that's why those jokes about the code are so funny, is because there's a tension always between the, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Right? Um, we, we know that both are important. Which is more important than the other? They're both important. Um, and Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, he gives us the law. Um, you know, you shall not murder. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. That's the letter of the law. It's true. It's important. Um, and he didn't come to abolish that law. That's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. But um, I say to you, if you, you know, are angry with your brother, then you have murdered him in your heart. This is the spirit of the law. The law is expanded here. It's not expanded in itself. It's expanded in our understanding. As we see, it reflects more and more of God's character the deeper that we go. What the Sermon on the Mount is, and I'm just going to spend a few minutes today introducing this to us, and then we'll look just, you know, really just a terrible amount of time on all of the Beatitudes um, that we'll just get an overview of. But what the Sermon on the Mount is, is basically Jesus expanding his, his new commandment. In John's gospel, he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And he expands that in the Sermon on the Mount, saying this is how, this is how we live together as God's people. This is the ethic of the kingdom. And it's, in a sense, a kind of a manifesto, showing us the depth of the law and the beauty of what it means to follow after Jesus. And uh, like I said, this is one of the most popular passages of Scripture, and because of that, it's often one of the most misunderstood. And so, uh, as we start out, I wanted to give us three mistakes that we often make when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll pray that we don't make them both in the preaching and in when you read the Sermon on the Mount. I want to give you three mistakes that we, we sometimes make that we want us to be very careful of uh, as we move forward. So here's the first one. Uh, when we hear the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes we hear it legalistically, okay? We're a grace-centered church. We're, we're going to always emphasize that the gospel is important, and uh, it's not how we keep the law, our keeping of the law. It is Christ's keeping of the law for us that merits our salvation. That's what we believe, and so we don't want to hear this legalistically. Um, there's, lots of bur- there's lots of commands in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, lots of intense commands, and it's okay to be, um, have your heart and your conscience pricked by these things. It's okay to feel burdened by them, but not overwhelmed. Let me give you an example. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 42 says um, this, Give to the one who begs from you, 
and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. Okay, this verse is often used to say um, lots of different things, but you hear the intensity of that command, right? Give to the one who, who begs from you. Always give to the person who uh, asks from you. All right, so is that the case? Is that always the case for you? If, you? if you pass by someone who asks for money and you don't give them money, are you breaking the new commandment of Jesus in every circumstance? Um, that's that's a quite, what a way on your heart for a second, right? Because that's what the Bible says, right? Are you always supposed to do that? Well, don't hear this as something that it is not. These things are not the way to become a Christian. These things do not make you a Christian. The following of these things does not do that. It's never do these things and you'll be a Christian. It's always because you're a Christian, this is how we're called to live. And in this case, um, oftentimes what the Sermon on the Mount does is it gives us a specific application of a general principle. Um, The general principle is we should be giving people. And he gives us this example. We should be the type of people that give whenever we're asked. That's the type of person, but it's not a legalistic thing, so let's not make that mistake. Let's not hear it legalistically, number one. Number two, on the other hand, let's not hear it flippantly. This is the equal and opposite error of the first one. There is a temptation here to read the Sermon on the Mount, say like, ah, pirate's code. Just guidelines. Jesus doesn't really care about anger, lust, divorce, intense things that we're going to talk about. He doesn't really care about those things. He's just kind of setting a high bar, but he expects us to get like a seven. Um, and, you know, so it's kind of okay. This is more like a guideline. Jesus expects us to live the Sermon on the Mount. He expects us to respect it. It's not a legalistic thing, but it is, a, it is um, something that we have to receive as God's people. This is the way that we're supposed to live as God's people. So let's not hear it legalistically. Let's not hear it um, flippantly. But thirdly, here's another mistake we often make. We hear it selectively. This is a huge mistake that we often make when we come to the Sermon on the Mount. Many, many have over history. There's lots of isms that trace their ideology back to the Sermon on the Mount. Like Christian communism, Christian socialism, uh, Christian radicalism. Christian pacifism, the fact that we would never harm uh, anyone in any circumstance. Christian perfectionism, that we can attain perfection in this life. Some of these isms get their, their content, uh, you know, their rubber stamp from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. But we have to be very careful about this. Um, because Jesus is not here to, to rubber stamp your ideology. Okay, he's... He's not here to, to just kind of confirm your biases towards your, uh, your political or social or whatever ism that you, you follow. He's here for, for you to sit under him. And there's lots of different teachings throughout the Bible, and we need to be careful that we're always remembering that this is not the only thing that Jesus ever said. All right, this applies to America's favorite verse. Judge not, lest you be judged. We're going to talk about it later in the series. Um, which, of course, means that we can never say that anything is right and wrong anymore. No, it doesn't mean that. Um, and so when we cherry-pick, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, more than any other book of the Bible, is cherry-picked, right? This is what Jesus said, turn the other cheek, judge not. And we kind of say, this is all of who Jesus is, but that's not all of who Jesus is. So we need to be careful that we don't just pull what out what we like. 
We're not going to make those mistakes uh, today as we, as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, I hope. Um, we're going to look for just a few minutes at these blessings, the Beatitudes. Um, Jesus, I think it's no mistake, he begins with these blessing statements. That's what Beatitude means, it just means a blessing statement. And I think he begins this way on purpose. As he, as he starts his ministry and he starts his sermon, it's like he's saying to us, he knows that every single one of us is searching for a blessing. Every single one of us is searching to be called blessed. We want someone or something or some group to call us blessed, to call us happy. Uh, or, you know, we could translate the word blessed as as fortunate, the one who is celebrated, the one who has arrived, blessing, every single one of us pursues it. We want it, and sometimes we are downright desperate for it. I was hanging out in a coffee shop uh, downtown this week, had the Beatitudes open in front of me, and was just reading through them, and uh, I'm not normally an eavesdropper uh, in coffee shops, but uh, you know how some people come in and they, they're just talking so loud. It's like they expect you to hear everything they're saying. So I heard two conversations about dating as I was sitting there, uh, eavesdropping and reading the Beatitudes. And uh, the first one, this this couple came in. It was their first date. I heard all about it. Um, and they they met on Christian Mingle. They were both Christians. Um, they're talking about uh, you know God and church and everything. But you could tell. You know how you can sometimes look at a conversation and see somebody has the upper hand and the other person is kind of subservient. Well, in this case, it was the guy. He had the upper hand. Uh, you could tell he was talking a lot about himself and blah, 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 you know, me, me, me. And uh, this girl was, was like trying to get a word in and uh, I felt so bad for her. And you could tell he was getting a little bored. Uh, he was kind of done with this date. And, you know, she was just trying to get a blessing from him. You could tell it was, it was really sad. She was she was talking, like trying to say like impressive things about herself. Uh, you know, it was just, you know, I'm glad I'm out of that scene. But um, like she was trying to get a blessing from him. And for a moment, I was really sad and felt bad for all women everywhere that guys are jerks. And, um, <laughs> and then I didn't feel that way for long because of the second dating conversation that I eavesdropped on, which happened just 10 minutes later. It was amazing. Um, three girls came in and they were talking, and again, one had clearly had the upper hand, uh, and she was talking about just ridiculing this guy that she had recently gone on a date with. And uh, apparently what he had tried to do, which is the dumbest thing you know, ever in her mind, is he had tried to like replicate the movie um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Um, and somehow, I, don't, I haven't seen it in years, I don't think, but like somehow the guy... Like, it was trying to like follow the plot of the movie with her. It was trying to do something special, and she, you know, it just was not working for her, you know. And uh, she just ridiculed him, and I just felt bad for the guy, you know. Like he was just searching for a blessing. Um, he wanted you to to think him good, and but even the girl who was sharing is searching for a blessing as she talks to these other two girls, telling them about her, you know, dating life and stuff. She wants them to think she's blessed. She's searching for a blessing. All of us are desperately searching for a blessing. Whether that's because we didn't receive it from our parents or we didn't receive it from our peer group or we, or we just built in with this desire for a blessing that we feel like we never have. 
What I want to remind us of today is that we have the blessing of Christ. And here's what I want us to see. It means something for the way that we live. Here's the main point. When we have the blessing of Christ, we live differently than those who seek their blessing elsewhere. When we have the blessing of Christ, we live differently than those who seek their blessing elsewhere. And you do have the blessing of Christ if you're a Christian. You have the blessing of Christ. This is the gospel. Jesus calls you blessed. Don't believe me? Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read the first, verse 3 through verse 7. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace." I don't know how many times the word blessing is used there, five or six times. We are blessed because we're in the beloved, because we have redemption through his blood. This is the gospel. There's nothing that you did to earn this. It's given to you as a gift of God so that you cannot boast. You are blessed. The search, in many ways, is over. We are all longing for a blessing. In Christ, we have the blessing. And yet... We, don't full, we haven't fully realized those promises. The, the new heavens and the new earth haven't come yet. It's not fully there. And so we're tempted to, to define blessing the way that other people do, those who don't follow Christ, define blessing in a different way. That's their, our temptation, whether it would be um, you know, a certain income level or, or to have a certain number of friends or to have a certain number of kids or to have a certain job or a certain house. And we, we think, if I could reach these things, it will bless me. All right, but you have all the blessing that you need in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And you need to increasingly find, and I need to increasingly find, our blessing in the way that he defines it. He says, blessed are these things. This is the blessed life in me, in him. I want us to see two things today. We, we live differently because we have the blessing of Christ. How do we live differently? Two, two ways. First of all, in who we are. And who we are. We're different in who we are. We're a different kind of people. This is the Beatitudes. I just want to go through them um, so we understand w- what they mean. Uh, and it's interesting to me that I would divide them into two categories. Um, there's, there's ones that are kind of oriented towards God. You know, blessed are you who are oriented God toward God in this way. And there are, that's half of them. Four of them are like that. The other four are oriented towards others. And it, it's a beautiful picture of the two tables of the law. If you know all of the law summarized and love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think Jesus is reflecting that here. And so who are we before God? First of all, here, here's a few things. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. What does that mean? To be poor in spirit. It doesn't mean that we take a vow of, of, pover- of physical poverty. Uh, necessarily, though, you know, the scripture hints that maybe some do if they have a love of money, but it doesn't mean that in and of itself, um, unlike what Emperor Julian the Apostate, early Roman Empire uh, Emperor 
did is he confiscated all the, all the lands of his subjects and said, you know, uh, I'm helping you live out this verse here. Um, you know, you need to become poor. I, I really want you to inherit the kingdom, and so I've got to take your lands. Um, and so, not getting the irony, apparently. What does it mean? It doesn't mean the vow of poverty. It means that you confess your spiritual bankruptcy. Poor in spirit. You don't, when it comes to your natural account, you're in the red. You don't have anything to earn your way back to God. You are poor in spirit. If you confess that, yours is the kingdom of heaven. He grants you what you don't naturally have because you acknowledge that you don't. You depend on Him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Another one oriented towards God. What does this mean? It means uh, that we mourn over our sin and the brokenness in the world. Blessed are those who look at the world and look at their own hearts and mourn on what they see, the state of their life and the state of the world. Because those people, can then, they can be comforted. If you don't acknowledge how bad things are, if you live in la-la land and you're just, you know, it's, everything's good and life is happy, um, then you never see the beauty of being comforted in a biblical way. Mourn. Skip down. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We hunger and we thirst after the things that matter to God. Righteousness. That He would bring about a righteous world. That we would be righteous people. These are the things that we think about, that, that we dream about, that, that capture our imagination. If we are to be satisfied. Satisfaction is not found in other things. It's found in hungering and thirsting after the way God made the world or desired the world to be. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean, to be pure in heart? This is not talking about like impurity so much as it is. Uh, the phrase is pure in heart. It means a, an undivided heart. You're, you're pure in your purposes towards God. You, you have a love for God, and that's what drives you, similar to the hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. These are the things that, we, that, that cause us to live differently than the rest of the world who doesn't follow Christ. Because we are a different people. It's, we're different in who we are. We're people who value being spiritually bankrupt. We're not always boasting about who we are. We're, we're those who mourn, not just you know, thinking that everything's okay. We're different in that we hunger and thirst, not for a certain level of achievement, but for the things of the kingdom. Pure in heart. We're not divided in lots of different ways out and kind of looking at different things to find our satisfaction, but we're united in our heart towards God. And I know I'm saying we are these things, and part of the challenge, of course, is that we aren't these things. But this is who we are in Christ. Before God, we are blessed if we acknowledge these things. Before other people, we're blessed if we live this way. Blessed are the meek. What does that mean? Very hard to translate and know what he means by the meek. Um, but it has something to do with gentleness and not being overbearing with people. The way that Jesus uh, acted in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentleness and not being overbearing. We are merciful with other people. It means that... Um, Blessed are the merciful. We're blessed when we 
uh, don't hold other people, just hold on to them. We, we forgive, we let go, we are compassionate towards their needs. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, D.A. Carson says this about Christians. Instead of delighting in division, bitterness, strife, or some petty divide and conquer mentality, disciples of Jesus, this is how we're different, delight to make peace wherever possible. We delight to make peace wherever possible. Blessed are the persecuted. When we act right, when we pursue, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, it, it's a contrast to the world, right? Um, people love darkness rather than light. We shine a light on that. It's hard. Persecution will come for living the way that we live. And that we see it differently than the world. Persecution is not something that's always to be avoided. In fact, in verse uh, 11, it says, Rejoice and be glad. You're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. This is all over the, the, uh, the New Testament, the, the pursuit of, of suffering, or the allowance of suffering and, and delighting in it. We live differently. We, we don't see persecution as something that's um, to be avoided. We see mercy as something that should be front, fronted all the time and not asserting our own way, but we're meek. This is the kingdom life. It's who we are before God and before other people if we're a changed people. All of these things are perfectly lived out by Christ himself. I mean, I think we could even just shout it out, popcorn approach in the room. Where do you see these in the life of Christ? Where is he meek? Where is he peaceful? Where is he a peacemaker? Well, he's the prince of peace. I mean, we could go on and on. These are the things that Jesus lived. And so it brings up an important point that when we live this way, again, to, to not read this legalistically, we're living into who Christ is. Christ is these things. And when we live into him, we are different people. We're changed. We live differently before God and before other people. These things don't come to us naturally. Um, they are things that are, that are formed in us by, by being united to Christ. They don't come to us naturally. I was in a wreck um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was driving downtown 3rd Street, and uh, that is apparently a, a two-lane, one-way street. Uh, that I did not realize, and uh, I was going the right way on it, but um, I was trying to turn left, and I thought I was turning across traffic in the other lane, but of course there was no traffic coming because it was a one-way street, um, and you know, as I turned, someone came up in the other lane and T-boned me, and uh, you know, it basically ruined the rest of the day, and I felt um, immediately um, a little angry, victimized, um, and, you know, just basically like this person has ruined my day. I was about to meet someone, not to call that off and not to do all this insurance stuff. And, um, you know, it took me a couple of hours to like, get out of the stupor and realize this was 100% my fault. <laughs> like, I ruined his day, right? Like, it was weird. It was so weird how long it took me to realize that. Of course, I was nice, nice to the police officer, nice to the guy. Um, but internally, I felt wronged. But... I wasn't wronged. I was the wrongdoer. And it just, it's weird how long it took me to get there, like internally. And it just demonstrates, I mean, I don't have a natural poverty of spirit. I'm not poor in spirit. I, I feel like I'm entitled to things. We all are this way. We're not naturally uh, living out the Beatitudes. It's Christ in us. It's Christ dwelling in us that changes us to live out this way. And so I've been trying to tell people immediately, whenever I say I was in a wreck, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, nope, it was my fault, 100%. Uh, 
I'm at fault, I'm paying it out, you know, it's like, it's, it's happening. Um, and because it's not natural to us to live this way. We're different in who we are. <coughs> Secondly, we're different in where we live. This may not be immediately obvious to you on your first reading, but there's very significant structural things going on here. If you notice, the very first beatitude and the last beatitude, I think there are eight beatitudes most commentators do as well. Um, the last one, verse 11, says, Blessed are you when you revile. Um, that's actually an extension of the one before it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, so the first one and the eighth one end the same way. They're the only ones with the same promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the promise for the first and the last one. That's not the only difference between the first and the last one and all the others. They're also different in tense. Did you notice that? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Every other one, every other promise is a future tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's in the future, a future promise. So why would Matthew, as he's arranging his gospel and he's He's giving us the words of Jesus here. Why would he do this? Why would he clearly mark out this section and do things, weird things with the tents like this? What he's demonstrating is that the kingdom that Jesus is introducing here is both a, a present reality and a future reality. It's a both present reality and a future reality. This is a biblical principle that we see everywhere in Scripture. It's called the already and the not yet. Things are already true. Um, and yet they're, they're not fully true until the new heavens and the new earth when everything is made right. We are in the kingdom, and the kingdom is future. Um, and so, you know, when Jesus says, if you see uh, demons cast out by my name, then uh, the kingdom of God has come to you, right? Well, he did cast out demons, and so the kingdom of God is present. Why does this matter? It tells us something about where we live. We live in the overlap of the ages, uh, if you think about a circle, like this is the kingdom of, of the world, and then this is the, the kingdom of God, and um, the circles overlap. There's like a Venn diagram. There's an overlap area where we live. This is the, the already and the not yet. And so we're fully in the kingdom, and we're not fully in the kingdom. We're in the world. This, is, um, this explains a lot of things in tensions in Scripture. But it also tells us, why does that matter for what we're talking about today? What, why it matters is this. It means that we live for a different reality. We live in a different place. We define blessing differently. There's a freedom there. The world can say this is where blessing is. And we could say, we can have the freedom to say, no, that's not, you know, we can pursue other things because we're already in the, in the new world that, that Christ has brought about. And his blessing, the way that he defines blessing is the way that we experience blessing. We live in a different place. We're in a different mode of existence. We're on a different plane. Uh, our kids got a lot of Christmas presents this year. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, grandparents gave a lot of kids, gave a lot of presents. Um, you know, we set a budget, blew the budget. Um, then, uh, you know, Santa on Christmas morning. And, you know, it just was a bit ridiculous. And uh, they got some really nice gifts. We asked them what, uh, what was their favorite gift, right, after, on Christmas morning after they'd opened everything. And um, my oldest, Cademan, said, uh, a coin bank that he got. Um, 
and just a little thing that counts your money as you go in. Asked my middle child, Rhodes, what's your favorite? And he pointed to a Paw Patrol ball. Uh, that's a TV show that he likes and just a, a bouncy ball. And uh, Leland, my youngest, doesn't talk yet, but if uh, the amount of time that he played with this object is any indication, his favorite was a pencil sharpener. <laughs> um, the, the kind, you know, you stick it in, you roll the pencil. He had one of those in his stocking, and he carried it everywhere the whole day. Um, what does this reveal? Other than the fact that we could have had a Christmas for like $23, and everybody would have been happy. Um, <laughs> It reveals that we're on a different plane than our, than our kids' imagination, right? Um, and we do this all the time. If you give a kid a, a gift, you know, they're, sometimes they're more pleased with the wrapping paper than they are the actual gift. We're not, we're, we're not on the same level, right? Uh, we're assuming different things. And their heart isn't warmed by the same things we think they should be warmed by. Their imagination isn't stirred by the same things that we think will stir their imagination, We're in a different plane, a different mode of reality. And the challenge that I want to leave us with is, we've just done a summary of the Beatitudes, is this. To look at these things, if Jesus calls this the blessed life, ask yourself, am I on the same plane as Jesus? (laughs) Is my heart warmed by the things that he calls blessing? Is my imagination stirred by, by what he describes here as a way to have a blessed life. Do I define blessing the way that he defines blessing? Very significant for this time of the year. I mean, it's January 1st, people. You know, it's, it's the start of a new year. We've got the calendars out. We've got the resolutions down. Maybe you spent some time doing that, and you would think, this is what I'm going to pursue this year and the new year. I'm going to lose this weight. I'm going to reach this sales goal. I'm going to whatever. And we spend energy and time on these things because we think that in them we find blessing. I mean, and they are good things that that God approves of, and, and there's nothing, I'm not saying anything wrong about them, but if you reach those goals, you will not have the sense that I am now blessed in the beloved. You won't. There will still be a deeper hole, there will still be a deeper desire, there will still be a search for blessing that goes on in your heart. I promise you. This is not where blessing is found. What if we spent some time looking at what Jesus defines as blessing? I just want to challenge you to maybe do that today. If you take me up on it, just read the Beatitudes again, prayerfully. And say, do I define blessing the way that Jesus does? Or am I really believing a different story? Blessing is when I arrive here, when I have this, when I get to this person, when I do this. Jesus says, blessing is found in me, and this is who I am. Poor in spirit, mournful, meek. What if we put some of these things up in front of us and said, "Um, this year I'm going to pursue blessing Jesus' way. Just give it a try, I don't know the way he says that the life is blessed. In these things, do we really believe that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied? Or do we really believe that satisfaction is found somewhere else? 
Do we really believe that if we're merciful, we're blessed? <clears throat> or do we like holding those grudges? Are we nice on the outside and we don't really believe that pursuing mercy will provide that for us? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. Do I define blessing the way that Jesus does? And put that before you. One or two of these. When you live into one, you live into all of them because they're all of Christ. They're who he is. They're his character. And if you're a Christian, your character as well. Let's pray. God, would you help us to live into this? <laughs> these blessings, Lord, you call these things blessed, and they're so contradictory to much of what we understand the world to be. When we are the center of our universe, when we are, when our success and when our um, affirmation is, is number one, it's hard to see how being meek will bring blessing into our life. Would you give us the life of Christ? Would you increase him in us so that we can see the world the way that you see it, so we can understand blessing the way that you understand it, and we can be captured by it in our imaginations? Would you help us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.